Hi everyone, I'm Anya Parampil and you're watching Redlines. My guest today is Ali Abunima. He's the co-founder of the Electronic Intifada and the author of One Country, as well as The Battle for Justice in Palestine. Welcome to Redlines, Ali. Thank you, Anya. I wanted to start today by talking about developments earlier this month. The United Arab Emirates announced a peace deal which will lead to the normalization of relations between the UAE and Israel. You have said this deal is not historic, but is simply making public a dirty, secret relationship that goes back decades. Why isn't this development anything new beyond a surface level? Well, it is and it, is, it isn't new. It's certainly new in the sense that it marks uh, an unprecedented uh, height in the public embrace of Israel by um, Arab regimes in the Gulf. Uh, until now, the only Arab regimes that had formal relations with Israel were Egypt and Jordan, and of course the the Palestinian Authority. But um, so that in that sense, it's definitely an escalation. But the ties between the United Arab Emirates and Israel go back at least to the 1990s, and there are similar ties between other regional regimes. Uh, and Israel. Um, and those ties include uh, military uh, cooperation, including even joint military exercises between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. They include uh, espionage and intelligence cooperation. And they include being tacitly, if not openly, on the same side in various regional proxy wars, including the uh, U.S. Um, uh, war in all but name against Iran, and um, of course the UAE is a partner with the United States also in the war on Yemen, which Israel isn't directly involved in. But also the UAE and uh, Israel were uh, more or less on the same side when it came to the proxy war in Syria. So that, that sort of uh, makes them, in a way, natural partners. But I think this, uh, this agreement is also, uh, let's say, a litmus test or, or kind of a, a, a watershed, let's say, as to whether other regimes will, will follow quickly into normalizing ties with Israel, or whether it will be uh, sort of a, a standalone uh, for the time being. I, I don't think it's exactly clear yet. Then what's the purpose of formalizing this relationship in public at this point? That's a good question. I think from it depends from whose perspective. Uh, from the United States perspective, uh, normalization between Israel and its uh, client Arab regimes has always been a priority because let's remember all of these governments, whether it's Israel or the Gulf states, are uh, clients or protectorates of the United States. And the U.S. wants all of its uh, little buddies to get along, let's say, you know. There's, there's certainly a, a, an advantage in terms of efficiency of imperial management if uh, your various client regimes are all uh, singing from the same songbook, so to speak. Uh, but there's also uh, weapon sales for um, uh, the United States. We see that right now with the U.S. pushing the sale of the... Uh, a very expensive and very poorly built F-35 
fighter jet on the United Arab Emirates, even above objections from Israel, because it's just, uh, you know, money talks. The U.S. wants to make those sales and all of the massive attendant multi-billion dollar, multi-year maintenance contracts that come with them. There's also uh, probably a, a lot of private business interests that will benefit. And from, from the perspective of the United Arab Emirates, um, you know, the, for all of, the, all of these, these Gulf regimes like the United Arab Emirates, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, um, are very vulnerable. These are uh, generally, you know, in the case of the United Arab Emirates, I've seen numbers that say that only 10% of the residents of the country are actually citizens of the United Arab Emirates. I'm not sure if that number is correct, but it, it is one of uh, a country where the vast majority of people living there are, you know, uh, migrant workers or so-called expatriates. So these are regimes that have a very narrow base and would uh, find it very hard to defend themselves against any serious internal or external threat. And so they really uh, rely on a patron, an imperial patron like the United States to guarantee their security. And so uh, cozying up to Israel and particularly to its Washington lobby uh, is seen as a viable uh, route into Washington's heart. You know, if you're, it's like being the best kid in class and teacher's pet. You cozy up to Israel, you cozy up to its lobby, then you hope that teacher in the White House is going to be, uh, um, you know, nicer to you than to the other kids. Many have framed this agreement as the UAE essentially agreeing to sell out Palestinians. I'm wondering how Palestinians themselves have reacted to this news. Well, they have called it a sellout, and of course, on a basic level, it is a sellout, and it is a betrayal of the Palestinian cause, which the United Arab Emirates for many years purported to uphold. But we have to be realistic that for many years, the United Arab Emirates has not been an ally of the Palestinians, quite the opposite, and Palestinians largely know that. But nonetheless, I think Palestinians did do take it as a, a very serious uh, betrayal on a matter of principle that, uh, you know, Palestinians are under a brutal military occupation, apartheid regime. Gaza is being bombed night after night. Uh, it remains under a brutal uh, blockade uh, for the last 13 years. And it is galling to see, uh, you know, uh, people making uh, uh, making nice, uh, making an alliance with the people who are oppressing you. So yes, it is a betrayal on that uh, sort of fundamental level. But I'll, I'll point you to uh, a piece that um, uh, Professor Joseph Masshad uh, wrote in Middle East Eye in, in the last few days that I think makes a very important point, which is that to the extent that the United Arab Emirates and other Arab governments uh, were supportive of the Palestinian cause in the past. That was about regime preservation for them. They saw that as expedient to preserving themselves. And right now, uh, their motivation for um, improving ties with Israel is exactly the same. Regime motivation, uh, uh, excuse me, re regime preservation. So what I'm saying is that the... Uh, 
the tactics may be different. On the one hand, be more supportive of the Palestinians. On the other hand, be more supportive of Israel. But the motivation is the same. These regimes are looking for uh, what they think is the best route to, uh, to stay in power, basically. Ali, some have claimed the UAE made this agreement in exchange for Israel agreeing to halt its annexation of the West Bank. Is that accurate? That's definitely the spin and the marketing uh, line. Because uh, remember when this was announced uh, uh, a week or two ago, that, that was very much the spin put on it, that uh, Israel had agreed to uh, suspend its planned annexation of most of, of a large part of the occupied West Bank, and uh, and and as a as a reward for that, the UAE was agreeing to normalization. So they're trying to present this as a gain for Palestinians, but that is just you know an absolute lie because it's really the United States that put the brakes on the annexation. But remember that that and they had done that weeks before. Um, but remember that. The, the formal declaration of annexation, which everyone is uh, raising alarms about, is in uh, a large part much less important than what's going on on the ground. And, and what's going on in the West Bank uh, is continued, if not accelerated, Israeli uh, colonization of Palestinian land, uh, the, the slow but steady ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from large parts of the West Bank, particularly the Jordan Valley. And none of that has slowed down. And, the, and, and none of that was included in the joint declaration uh, that uh, the U.S., the United Arab Emirates and Israel made. All they talked about was Israel suspending the formal annexation. And the very same day, Netanyahu came out and said, no, actually, I'm still very much committed to annexation. It's just a question of working out between Israel and the United States what's the best timetable to do it. And I think that's, that, that was a truthful statement from Netanyahu. How much does this agreement have to do with the so-called deal of the century Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner is reportedly brokering in the region? I've seen reports that he'd actually been the one pursuing this backdoor sale of F-35 jets to the UAE. It is all linked, but we have to remember that, that uh, normalization between um, Israel and Arab governments is an agenda that has been pursued by every U.S. administration, including, of course, the Obama administration. And the measure of how popular this is with the Washington establishment is that, uh, is that uh, the Democrats absolutely welcomed the agreement uh, with, uh, between the UAE and Israel, a lot of, um, uh, of, of Democratic politicians. So there's no dissent there. There's no major Democratic figure saying, no, actually, we shouldn't encourage normalization until Palestinian rights are met. And the same is very much true of the deal of the century. The deal of the century, Trump's so-called peace plan, is a distillation of all of the so-called peace plans that every U.S. administration from Bill Clinton down to Barack Obama has tried to push on the Palestinians. But I think Trump has been a little bit more successful in getting buy-in from Arab governments because it's not just the United Arab Emirates that have been very positive about this, but uh, Bahrain as well and Saudi Arabia. So, uh, so Trump really, it's the same 
plans for uh, peace at the expense of Palestinian rights. But uh, contrary to popular belief that uh, uh, they, they failed, in, in, a, in great respect, they've gotten more buy-in from Arab governments than Obama was able to. Ali, Israel has bombed Gaza every day since the announcement of the UAE's normalization with Israel. What does that tell us about the concern countries such as the UAE have for Palestinians in Gaza? Right. Well, uh, obviously, they, if they had any concern for Palestinians in Gaza, they would not have made this agreement with Israel, let alone done joint military exercises with exactly the same Israeli air force that is bombing Gaza and has been bombing Gaza year after year at the cost of thousands of lives. Uh, so that's one thing. But the reason, uh, you know, there's been very little cover coverage of what's happening in Gaza. You barely hear about it, and only when uh, bombs are dropping. But two million Palestinians besieged in Gaza are under brutal Israeli uh, blockade. Similar, in a sense, I mean, Gaza is the laboratory for the kind of sanctions that the United States is imposing on uh, countries all around the world, from Venezuela to Iran, whose goal is to hurt ordinary people, whose goal is to inflict suffering on the most vulnerable people. And let's remember that half the population in Gaza are children. And so Israel has stopped uh, imports of most goods into Gaza and uh, basically stops people from getting out, including for life-saving medical treatment. So that, uh, the reason I'm, I think it's important to stress the impact of the siege is that the siege is warfare against every man, woman, and child in Gaza. Silent warfare, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And so every now and then, Palestinians uh, try to resist this, or try to draw world attention to it by, for example, as they've been doing in recent weeks, launching incendiary balloons across uh, the boundary line into Israel where they uh, set fire to agricultural fields. Nobody has ever been hurt by one of these balloons, but they do uh, set fire to agricultural fields. So it's a form of protest, it's a form of sabotage, if you like, but its goal is to draw attention to the immense suffering that Israel is deliberately inflicting on uh, two million people. And how does Israel react to these balloons? They're like the party balloons you buy at CVS for a birthday party with uh, flammable material attached to them. And Israel is responding to that with F-16 fighter jets. And what is the latest information we have regarding the situation in Gaza, where Israeli fuel cuts have actually led to massive blackouts in the midst of this bombing campaign? That's right. So, you know, it's all relative in Gaza. For the past few years, people have been lucky to get eight or ten hours of electricity per day. Uh, and so if, if you get ten hours a day, that's considered really good. And now they're being cut back to, to uh, four hours sometimes in a 24-hour period. And of course, when you don't have electricity, you don't have uh, water pumps, you don't have sewage treatment. And so 
uh, even on, a, on an ordinary day, massive amounts of untreated sewage are, are flowing from Gaza into the Mediterranean because uh, of the degraded state of the water infrastructure there due to successive Israeli wars and bombing. And so that situation gets even worse uh, when the fuel supplies are cut off, as Israel has uh, in the last week, cut off the fuel supplies, shutting down the only power plant in Gaza. Uh, and um, uh, as of a few days ago, Israel also completely closed off uh, the sea so that Gaza fishers who go out uh, to fish, which is uh, essential nutrition for people in Gaza, essential uh, income for the fishermen's families, uh, cannot go out to sea. And Israeli gunboats have been out shooting at um, uh, Palestinian fishers who try to go out to sea. So this massive collective punishment against two million people, half of them children, is designed to send a message from Israel, which is that we will put you under siege, we will deprive you of the basics of civilized life, we will kill you at will, but if you protest or, heaven forbid, resist, we will bomb you and make things worse. That's the message from Israel, and unfortunately, there's been no counter-message coming, uh, you know, from the so-called international community. The message instead has been to Israel, do what you like to them, they're just Palestinians, so who cares? You say it's too early to tell whether countries will follow the UAE's lead and take this step of normalization with Israel, but where does that leave Gaza? How do you see the region changing? Who, if anyone, stands with the people in Gaza? Well, that's a great question. And again, it depends on who you're asking about. In terms of Arab governments, they have uh, for many, many years been, uh, you know, at best offering lip service to Palestinian rights. And at worst, and unfortunately with increasing normality, actually collaborating with Israel uh, directly to harm Palestinians. That's certainly what the Sisi regime in Egypt is doing by helping Israel to besiege Gaza. Um, but if you look at the popular level, the support is there very strongly. Uh, and, and that's really the, the fundamental fact of the region, is that these governments don't represent the people. These U.S. and European and Israeli-backed regimes across the region do not represent the people. So, you know, in recent days, we've seen a lot of speculation about who will be next. And, um, you know, some of the obvious ones are Bahrain and Oman, because those countries have moved very strongly towards normalization with Israel. Saudi Arabia, of course, Morocco, which has had long-standing secret ties with Israel going back years. But what we've seen in the past two weeks is a lot of popular and civil society reaffirmation of the rejection of uh, normalization with Israel. That has happened in Morocco, where even the prime minister has, has been uh, forced to come out and deny that there will be any formal normalization. And we've seen it across the Gulf, where despite the brutal repression uh, in the UAE of anyone who dissents from the regime line, uh, we've seen um, public figures coming out in the United Arab Emirates and across Gulf states uh, uh, strongly rejecting normalization and calling on 
citizens in the region to uh, reject normalization in all its forms and not to cooperate with any Israeli presence in their countries. Ali Abu Nima, co-founder of the Electronic Intifada, I think the greatest source on all news and analysis from and about Palestine. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you.